0: Hey, and welcome to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. At Calves, we like to keep things simple. We are committed to verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible to help people know, love, and become fully committed followers of Jesus. It is our prayer and hope that this message challenges, encourages, and equips you to that end. Um, So the last eight weeks, we've been going through Um, with an overarching theme of sit walk stand I don't have slides I'm not that organized sorry but um we're in week two of the walk part where Dave dug into um oh sorry I forgot I need to put my glasses that's help gonna help me error number two all right um where, uh, yeah, Dave, I guess, walked us through um, Paul urging the saints to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, which you've been called. Uh, there was an exhortation to unity, and we talked about the different gifts in the church and the gifts of the edification of the church. Um, today, we're looking at the new life. So I'll borrow mix um, chunks. There's two chunks today. First chunk is from 17 to 24. Um, And that's around stop walking like Gentiles. And the next chunk is from 25 to 34, um, edifying Christ in his body. So, um, the key theme, I guess, around today is um, that Christ's people are renewed in our lives of holiness, um, in thought, in word, in deed, and we must reject our old sinful lifestyles. So if you want to turn with me to verse 17, you can follow as we go and says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility or vanity of their minds. Paul begins this section where he testifies in the Lord, which is to beseech, as in God's name, for believers to conduct themselves differently to the world. He acknowledges here that there can be a tendency for Christians to display that we aren't so different after all. You might feel that pressure from time to time. but we're not of the world just as christ is not of the world in john seventeen sixteen, like we heard last week we're aliens and strangers your christian walk is a call to holiness to be set apart from the rest of the world and conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of your calling remember that's what the church means we're the called out ones this is foundational to genuinely walking out our faith and making christ known in the day-to-day things we do because of the in, it's intrinsic to who we are as God's people. How can the body of Christ grow and mature if we're deterred by the world, world's disapproval? This is really challenging. The Christian faith is in the crosshairs of a secular society. We're losing, people are losing their jobs, some here today, um, for holding to biblical view of marriage and then labelled as a bigot. You only need to check the news this last week to see Essendon AFL Club CEO Andrew Thornburn standing down due to his church affiliations, clashing with the values of his club. We also see the church actually thrives under persecution and trial, though. It's not necessarily a bad thing um, to receive this persecution. Um, the, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's heavy and it comes at personal cost. Now it's interesting that Paul begins outlining how conduct should look different by first looking at the mind of how our thinking shapes our behaviours. For example, uh, if we were to put all the little kids on a park field and say, play rugby without telling them the rules, we just toss them a ball. We might see, kids tackling their own team, kids throwing the ball in every which direction, making their own rules. The rules need to be understood by the players in order to play the game. As we move along in these opening verses, we read the mind of Gentiles or unbelievers is considered futile or vain. Um, It's pretty strong language, but Paul paints this portrait with black and white. The term futility or vanity is consistent with Ecclesiastes one where it means devoid of truth or appropriateness. Now there's probably a big sidetrack here regarding, you know, the compatibility of science and religion or the creativity of man, but I won't go down this path today. Um, I'll just clarify. This verse is not saying that a person in their rebellion against God is not capable of mighty intellectual achievements or the ability to create beautiful things. Instead, it's to say that all these things fall short of true wisdom. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The thought here is not that unregenerate minds are completely empty. It's that they're filled with things that lead to nothing. Hebrews 6.11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's about relationship with God and the outworking of this relationship with people. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated or excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, In verse 18, we have several negative implications of that spiral out of an unawareness of the true living God. They're darkened. Um, Mick might pronounce these better next week, but I think it's pronounced skata'o, which is a metaphor to a darkened or blind mind. Um, Ignorance, agnoia, referring to moral ignorance. Hardness, which is like porosis or a dull perception so if you think of osteoporosis it's where the old bones can't be replaced by new the old cells can't be replaced by new cells in a bone that leads to the bone having these little holes go to big holes these big holes are just the bone hardening it can't take on nutrients it can't be strong like it was it breaks down i think it's interesting to see how a fallen creation is reflected in in creation and disease and we see that um, I guess also in a spiritual sense of our heart being hard now the heart here this is referring to the seed of our emotions our sensibilities our affections our appetites our desires and they become callous it's a means to be apathetic or past feeling there's a sense of repeated attempts to bring understanding of the gospel that just seem to bounce. Sensuality. Now, this is in general terms. It's often um, translated as sexual immorality, but it's talking about a general lack of restraint and in, to indulge self and impurity, which is vile or dirty. So with these Greek definitions in mind, I guess you could read verse 18 and 19 like this. They're darkened or blind in their understanding, alienated or excluded from the life of God because of the moral ignorance that is in them due to their dull perception of how God would direct and affect their emotions, sensibilities, affections and desires. They've become apathetic and have no moral restraint. They wish only to serve their self-focused, deceitful desires. Jesus fleshes that out more in Mark seven twenty-two. if you want to read that further. But with that picture in mind, you can imagine that the life of this person is chaos. The person here that God allows people to, the, the point is here that God allows people to go this way. He allows people to make a choice. I was reminded of Paul's warning to the men of Athens in Acts 17, 30 says the times of ignorance god overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man who he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead you probably remember that passage and you remember what happened after he said these things some mocked some wanted to hear more And some joined Paul and believed. Maybe you can think of people in your own life who are headed in this direction, but be encouraged by the word become. Back in verse 19, it's a process of hardening. There's still opportunity for you to witness to these people in your life who don't yet know Christ, even if you see some evidence of hardening and ignorance toward God. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard of him, heard about him, and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness." Notice here it doesn't say, by the way you learned about Christ. We can read about King Charles. We can book flights and attend his coronation. We can research his life. But in reality, I only know about him. For those of you who are married, how did you get to know each other? How did you get to know a friend at school? To learn Christ implies intimacy with him. It's in the daily ups and downs. When you're reading the Gospel of John, for example, you might read a verse or two and say to the Lord, that convicts me or that confuses me. That's so encouraging. What a blessing. I encourage you that you're not only to find a regular, uh, sorry, I encourage you, if you're not already, to find a regular time and place where you can talk to the Lord. And um and read about him and grow in him. Paul isn't implying uncertainty here in verse 21, but confidence you have heard as I, ne- I sorry, in verse 21, Paul isn't implying certainty, but confidence. It says, "I guess you could read it. You have heard, as I know you have." Um, I think the main point here in verse 20 and 21 is that the truth is found in the activity and teaching tied to Jesus. In the end, truth is not abstract, but is tied to the example of a person, like what John was saying before. In doing preparation for this, I've been encouraged to be entrenched in the New Testament. It's been a while since I've been been here, because I've just been in a reading plan. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but I... um, you know i'm past leviticus but like I'm um, i'm in the middle there and um it's been a while since i've just been able to just read around the new testament so yeah good to be in the epistles at the moment um oh yeah good old going off the notes and forgetting where you are okay um yeah anyway so i want to encourage you if you get a chance to um read And meditate on John 17 this week it's just a great passage and I think it fits really well with the series that we're in Uh, I guess it's a passage where we get to eavesdrop in on Jesus the Son talking to God the Father can't be more intimate than that right now in verse 22 we have a few more imperatives or commands to put off in verse 22 verse 23 to be renewed and verse 24 to put on It's kind of like the process of taking a shower and getting dressed after digging in the mud. Mm -hmm. Paul is studying the facts, and it's important that we remember the context here is about core teaching from the start of the Christian walk. So it's not about what believers are down the road. Again, we see fundamentally there must be a break with the past. Jesus isn't merely to be added into our old life. The old life dies. He becomes our new life. In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 23. The exhortation continues with a call for an ongoing process of renewal, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I think Romans 12, two, does a good job of summarising this entire section um, here. Its call is not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Although not mentioned explicitly here, it's the work of the spirit that enables our spirit to do this. And we see the spirit weave throughout Paul's letter in chapter one, verse 17, 3, 6, 4, 3, 5, 18, and six, eighteen. All right. You're tracking okay. We're awake. Cool. We're halfway. So a call to edify Christ in his body. So from this point onwards, Paul gives specific exhortations to elaborate on what this new walk ought to look like in practice. He's really it's really practical and it's been really encouraging just reflecting on our church body and how we support each other. There's a consistent structure of Don't do this, but do that. And much of the content here is relational um, as fellow body members. And we'll mainly just focus on the but do that part. So verse 25, you can follow along with me. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. As an OT, I'm, I'm struck where it says, where Paul is just so black and white and just says, stop it, just stop. Um, I think in my own practice, like we go through weeks of trying to change behaviour. They'd say, you know, alcoholics anonymous is like a 12-week programme, because as I say, that's how long it takes to change a behaviour. But Paul just says, stop it, stop lying now. There's no graded approach here. It sows discord, doesn't it? Truth is something we owe all men. However, when Paul uses the word one another or neighbour, he's referencing it in context of fellow believers of one another. It's a beautiful thing to see the church be open to each other, to pray for each other and let our prayer requests of our heart be known. My wife Mel was sharing with me this last week just how encouraging it was to be part of the mums and bubs group. And she was just saying one thing in particular was how there's this intentional focus on if you can't be there in person, still just praying for each other. It's not about, um, uh, sorry, it's not about complaining or catching up on the latest gossip. There's support and community. There's meals being delivered and wisdom being shared. How to discipline your kids and glorify God in marriage. We had our neighbours over for dinner the other night and part of the dinner was some leftovers that Maria had brought over. And our neighbours, they're not believers. Um, But the husband commented to his wife about having the meal brought over out of the blue. And he said, all right, that's it. We're going to church. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think the same can be said of the men's group. It's, It's so good to pair off and just pray with one another um and even just to kick a ball around that's that's all so good but it builds that um i guess that place where we feel like we can share our burdens we we know the people around us bible study is thriving and we pray for the church we pray for each other pray for the world around us the leadership of the elders their wives their families Their servant heart to serve this body. To check in with us and all the stuff they do that we aren't aware of. The humility to ask the church for prayer. That's not always common. And I'm really looking forward to church camp. Hey, Josh. (laughs) That would be a great chance of um, fellowship. Whether you like it or not, we'll probably be sharing cabins. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So how can we be angry without sinning? James 1 verse 19 and 20, I think helps. He says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's convicting even for me some people look at me and they say do you ever get angry trust me i'm a work in progress just like any of you and i need the help of the holy spirit to live out the fruit of the spirit of self-control um in in the heat of emotions um yeah and it's usually out of selfish ambition that we can get angry and speak out of turn that our emotions get away from us where we've been unjustly wronged, I think Romans 12:19 sees the resolution of justice ultimately being God's job. We can hand it over to him. Anger for anger's sake is never justified, but righteous anger might be. We need to seek discernment here, especially in the heat of the moment. Anger against evil can be righteous. As Jesus demonstrated, when he overturned tables in the temple, He wasn't angry because his feelings were hurt or that things didn't go how he planned. He was angry because people were being hindered from worshiping the father. Part of the check on justified anger is not to let it linger. Simmering anger gives the devil an opportunity to sow division and bitterness. Don't let anger hang around like clouds over relationships. The church is to seek to be a refuge of shalom, a place of completeness. Unresolved conflict brings bitterness and discord. Church, if there's a situation in your life that you need to resolve, even if it's not interrupting your daily activities, I really want to encourage you to listen to the spirit that he may be prompting you now to seek an opportunity to resolve things and move forward. Particularly if it's with another believer, for in the end we're all in one in Christ. All right, verse 28. Let no thief, sorry, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This third exhortation, in this chunk, we, we've moved from. This is the third exhortation in this chunk, and we've moved from lying to anger to stealing. It's interesting to see the swing in lifestyle from covetousness through to generosity. Uh, One of the purposes of work is to steward resources well for the benefits of others. I've been so encouraged by the spirit of generosity here at Calfs. Uh, Recently, our car was written off in an accident. Um, People who had a car to lend didn't hesitate. There's been financial support to help our family to live overseas when we couldn't get back. People bringing a meal over or lending tools around. No strings attached. It's such a beautiful gift and a blessing, and I'm sure you have examples in your own lives. Okay, verse 29. Let no corrupting or rotten talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Speech is a gift and it has a power to tear down or build up. You can read James 3 about taming the tongue. Proverbs 15, 23 says, To make an apt answer is a joy to man, and a word in season, how good it is. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. My bitterness, my speaking evil of someone, or losing my temper with someone, grieves the Spirit. Why? It's not that God says anger and evil speaking cause my ears to burn, or bitterness and wrath are offensive to me. That's not the idea here. There's not a curse word God hasn't heard. There's nothing that shocks him. God is not grieved by how our speech, anger or malice affects him, but how it affects us. He's grieved not because he can't handle our sin, but because it hinders him, the spirit, from doing his work in, through and for us. So let bitterness and all wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The core virtues that should reflect the image of church are kindness, compassion and forgiveness. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 adds mercy, humility and gentleness. These virtues describe what it takes to walk in love. And I'll let Mick elaborate on that next week. I'm also just drawn to that familiar passage of 1 Corinthians 13. And um, I'll let you read that in your own time. I like how the NKJV renders this part of the verse. For Christ's sake, can you not forgive an offender on that ground? I won't go into it but I also think of Jesus' parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, 23 to 28. He forgave us when we were in debt of millions of dollars, a debt we couldn't pay. We ought to forgive others when they owe us a few dollars. If we don't forgive, we won't enjoy the intimacy and closeness with the Father that you would have otherwise. It's all based on forgiveness. As I said before, if there's someone... To- toward whom you're bitter, seek out a time to forgive them. So in conclusion, um, believers are called to remember where you came from and what you were called out of through the enlightenment of your minds and hearts when you first believed. It's out to our own detriment that we hide our faith and try to fit in. We're good different. And this is essential part of growing in maturity and intimacy in your daily walk with jesus and how you represent him to the people around you delve into learning the truth that christ that is in christ and growing into intimacy with him through the word and in prayer let him continue to shape your conduct as a new creation and walk in a manner that is honest and shares each other's burdens build each other up in speech And consider how your giftings and stewardship can continue to bless others as you're already doing. Regarding anger, put wrath aside and don't allow unresolved conflict to fester into bitterness that divides the body of Christ. And above all, seek forgiveness just as you've been reconciled to God through the blood of Christ for his sake. All right, let's pray. Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. If you'd like to check out more of our teachings, please visit ccn.org.au forward slash teachings.